we have to talk about Elon Musk once. First of all, he announced that that brain and neural implant works. It's in somebody. I'll wait and see exactly what works means. You know, the guy, the guy just add French to his uh, vocabulary. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and finally, SpaceX is looking is heading a different direction quietly. Hey, Scott, how are you? I Isn't am well. Heads I'm, of state running through Silicon Valley. Yeah, it's it's a big time. We've got uh, the president in town, and my jaw is on the floor after looking at the uh, latest NVIDIA earning numbers and what it's doing after hours. It's crazy. Oh, that's our big story for this week. I mean, we're doing this a little bit early for various reasons. After doing a little bit late as a power outage last week. Anyway... NVIDIA. NVIDIA is the story of the week. I think it's the story of the year in Silicon Valley. This is a company that was the fastest growing stock on the stock exchanges last year. Now it just came out with its quarterly results and it blew the doors off of it again. And it shows every indication of being the fastest growing stock this year. We don't see that very often. No, because usually, um, you know, if, if it's Cisco, it's because everybody needs routers. If it's, uh, I don't know, Exxon, it's because everybody needs oil. If it's Microsoft, it's because everybody needs software. NVIDIA soared last year because its chips were hot in driverless cars and mobile and even Bitcoin mining and just anything you could think of, NVIDIA was in the center of it. And then on top of that, this year, we see the rise of AI. And who is the standard bearer? at least for chips, when it comes to AI. And that is squarely NVIDIA, and its stock value is just taking off because of it. And it's already a $1.5 trillion market cap company. And to see it grow this fast, even at that size, we just haven't seen that, I can't think of, in, in a long time. No, it's like they put, they're playing roulette, and they put the, their money on all the right squares. You know, I mean, it's unbelievable. Well, they are in all of the hottest markets in tech. We never seen that before. And it had to go an entire year and grow as fast as it did. I'll get to the numbers in a second. Typically, last time we saw this was AMD. They pulled it off a few years ago. But then the market retracts right after that growth, taking some profits out of it. Right now, it's growing faster than ever. And we just had $1.2 billion of individual investors jump into the market investing in NVIDIA. Uh, I, I read one uh, analyst whose uh, who's estimate, a lot of the estimates are now, the stock's going to get to 700 this year. But there was one outlier who, a veteran, a respected veteran, who predicted the stock will be $1,100 a share this year. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the growth, I mean, you know, you, you think, well, that's crazy, but I mean, really, anything's possible with a stock like this. But also, look, you have the hottest thing going, which is AI. And unlike previous times where, let's say, the dot-com boom hit, right now you don't have a lot of fly-by-night companies that you can invest in on the stock market if you want to play the AI game, right? You have Microsoft, you have NVIDIA, AMD has made a strong play, and there are a few other companies that are saying, ah, we now use AI. But you don't have a lot of startups that are publicly traded, um, unlike during the dot-com boom when everyone was going public and so many of them just lost money quickly. 
And so right now, if you want to be a stock investor and play AI, you know, you're limited and, and perhaps fortunately for your money, you're limited to some very already strong companies like Microsoft and NVIDIA. And we have seen them take off, uh, you know, within even the last few months. Yeah, I saw a quote from some guy who would, who would put money into it. And he came up with the, maybe the light of the year, which is NVIDIA is turning into a meme that is a cultural force now. Uh it's uh, let me give you some of the numbers. I mean, you know them, but it's breathtaking. They came in five dollars and sixteen cents per share on revenues of twenty two point one billion. Analysts were expecting an EPS of four dollars and sixty cents a share on twenty billion. So they came in much higher than anticipated compared to last year. Nvidia reported uh, earnings per share of eighty eight cents per share, which is uh, six billion dollars a year now this company uh is heading towards well 150 billion and one estimate is that their total valuation by 2026 is going to be some insane number uh like 14 trillion uh it's some incredible number and uh yeah, it's just astounding. And uh, shares of NVIDIA went up 5%. So in profit, in aftermarket, you've been tracking this, it went up 5% following the report, which is, and here's the interesting thing, the part that kind of on the side story, the Chinese market for NVIDIA chips because of the sanctions and embargo and the Chinese economy almost disappeared. So this company is a dragster setting new course records with one cylinder not working. If these guys had been hitting on everything, how big would they be? I mean, how fast would this growth be? This is the fastest ramp up I think I've ever seen. I've been watching in this town for 50 years. I mean, Apple didn't do this. You know, Facebook didn't do this. It takes three or four years. But this is a company that just started getting into chips, what, 16 months ago, 18 months ago? You mean AI chips specifically? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've been making chips for a while. You know, you talk about the history. Well, they've been making chips for a while, but AI chips. Right. And they are able to turn on a dime. I mean, remember how niche this company could get, you know, when, when driverless cars needed chips, NVIDIA was there. Even when Bitcoin miners needed chips, somehow NVIDIA you know, figured out that market and then knew when to pull back when that market was going away. As far as China, yeah, that gets political because there is an AI race going on. Um, but you know, there are some lobbyists right now trying to say, hey, American companies should be able to sell chips there. That would benefit NVIDIA. Meta has already talked about, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's out there saying, we're trying to buy as many uh, sets from NVIDIA as we can. You know, Microsoft is in there, obviously open AI. I mean, right now there are a few leaders um, and they all seem to be pointing to uh, throwing their money at NVIDIA, and, and NVIDIA is more than willing to catch it. Okay, so stock is up 40% this year, uh, and revenues may hit $110 billion. That's one prediction in the next uh, three years. Is there anything that could get in the way? I mean, uh, Jensen Wang, the, the CEO, said, accelerated computing and generative AI have hit the tipping point. Demand is surging worldwide across companies, industries, and nations. 
Well, if it's just at the tipping point right now, could this actually look like a prelude to an even faster rate of growth, or can something go wrong? Fab? Well, I think the answer to I think yeah, I think the answer to both is yes. Um, first, could this be a prelude? Yes, uh, we have a lot of um, tailwinds right now to AI. We've got a lot of both big companies that are investing. We have startups that are hiring. We have, and we talked about this a little bit, I think, in your show last week. Um, universities that are starting to launch AI majors. So yep. all of the things coming together that make VCs salivate, and they're putting a lot of their money into AI right now. But could things slow down? Of course. What if it turns out we don't need this as much as we think we need this? What if people sort of not necessarily backlash against it, but just realize, hey, you know, it's good to have a little bit of this to sort some of the data but you know the and 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 what if what if people get sued for all these mid-journey type art things that they're ripping off from the internet, um, a la the beginning of YouTube when music companies were suing them every day? It still remains to be seen that AI is going to change everything. But as far as being the hot thing right now, that's drawing you know tens and maybe hundreds of billions of dollars in in equity and wealth and investment. Yeah, we know that that's happening right as we speak. Uh, there's two forces that struck me that are working, that those tailwinds they have. The first one is the one we talked about last week, where 90% of tech workers in Silicon Valley are using ChatGPT at least once per week. Well, I bet that number has tripled in the, last, in the last two weeks. When it's five days, you know, I've mentioned that number to people, and no one believed it could be that low. That they all said, oh, they're probably using it five days a week and probably 25 times a day. Well, that kind of multiplier. And then you add the fact they've just announced the beta of their visual uh, AI, which looks astounding. Now, I could, I think you're right. They could be one major law class action lawsuit away, but it's hard to see anything in their path for a while. No, because people are fascinated with this and, and the Sora sort of technology that OpenAI uh, gave us, you know, just a few days ago, it seems now, uh, was amazing. You know, you had woolly mammoths running through the snow and um, not that any of us would know exactly what that looks like, but boy, that seemed realistic as far as woolly mammoths running through the snow. Um, so is this useful? Is this something that we'll, that we're willing to, you know, spend money on? I don't know. Um, but it, it sure is a use of technology in a way that we haven't seen before. And like you say about sort of these chat GPT type things, um, people are using it uh, frequently and they are using AI frequently. And it's, I think we're at, and it's interesting that Jensen Wong mentions a tipping point. I think we're at the point where people are using it without really knowing. And that's very important that it just becomes part of people's daily, say, work lives without them necessarily saying, ah, I'm using ChatGPT. And and that's important if it's going to become something that is part of our, say, daily work lives. Yeah, I just saw, I've just been talking to two startups, both of whom have implemented chat into, in AI, into their product just in the last couple of weeks that, and it's working for them. So if that's a sign, you know, we could have this thing influencing every new company being started in tech right. in the near future. Well, once again, time will tell, but I don't think it's going to be that much time 
we're going to have a pretty good idea how big this revolution is within a few months. So, okay, uh, the EU has announced that it's going to do a probe of TikTok over whether the social media company broke its new rules by failing to adequately protect minors by managing harmful content. So TikTok has replied that it's pioneered future uh, features and settings to protect teens and keep their teen-year-olds off the platform. All right. Well, quote, we look forward to now having the opportunity to explain this work in detail to the EU commission, said a TikTok spokesperson. Yeah, I bet they do. <laughs> I mean, the EU, as we know, does not mess around, especially no. when it comes to social media. And it seemed to be just a matter of time before TikTok became their latest target. And I will watch that with interest because remember how the EU really tore into, you know, Facebook and Instagram, uh, not to mention Twitter, uh, even more so, I think, than uh, than American lawmakers did. Absolutely. But I, I can tell you, I could probably walk 500 feet from my house and find at least one under 12-year-old using TikTok at this very moment. You know, I think the I think the horses are out of the barn on that one. But you know, good luck to you. I, you know, I hope you uh, you cause some changes that can be adopted here. Okay, uh, remember that thirty nine billion dollars that the Fed decided to give to America's semiconductor industry to build fabs and to help them compete, and there was very good reason. I mean, the chip manufacturing business in the United States fell from 37% of the market in 1990 to 12% in 2020. The question now is, these chip companies are doing so well. They're so flush with money. Do they need the $39 billion? And more importantly, do they want what comes with taking that $39 billion? Government interference, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, those are great questions. And... You know, doing the math really quickly, that $39 billion is one-third of what NVIDIA's stock value did in the two hours after it released earnings. <laughs> Went up about $120, $130 billion in market value. Um, so remember when the CHIPS Act was passed and how much attention it got because the chip companies were, it, it's not that their business was struggling, it's that they couldn't meet demand. And we were worried these American companies would fall behind foreign chip companies, and how are we going to keep these people employed at a high level? How are they going to make enough chips to figure out all the EV cars and driverless cars and all that stuff? And in the, gosh, six, nine months, I mean, not even all that much time, the chip companies have become center stage in wealth generation to the point where in two hours of aftermarket trading, NVIDIA alone can generate three times the entire, you know, $39 billion in its stock market uh, value, it, it's staggering how successful these chip companies have become. Well, what did we talk about last time? Chat, OpenAI, is talking to the big chip companies about, about raising trillions of dollars to build new AI-dedicated chip fabs out there around the country. So now the $39 billion, which say, you know, a shocking investment, it's just like a rounding error to what is actually going on in the marketplace. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the government, like any of us, doesn't have a crystal ball that's all that accurate. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm curious what happens 
but here's another thing. Um, you know, that that money was sort of, I think, earmarked for American companies, right? To make sure that we stayed competitive in the chip market. And here's something else that could go wrong when you talk about AI and its growth and all this stuff. I mean, what if TSMC, um, I don't know, like it falls because of a, you know, slows down because of a, a China-Taiwan conflict. I mean, aren't there global political things that could go wrong here as well because we're so interdependent on a company like TSMC? Um, and they are, I mean, they must be staffing just round the clock to try to have the demand of all these these chip and well, aren't they aren't they looking at moving operations to the U.S. That's what they were saying a few months ago. Yeah, and I wonder if that wouldn't be a good move to to take some of that government money to say, um, you know, this is such a huge industry right now, and we need to make sure um, almost that America has insurance that we will be able to make the chips that are needed for American companies. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting. Uh, with that kind of money, I wonder if we're going to see even more fabs being... We know that Intel and AMD are all looking at doing more stuff here. Maybe they're going to do a lot more stuff here. I mean, to the point that we regain actual dominance, a majority control, uh, especially if, T if, if the situation gets weirder and weirder in Taiwan, I mean, that, with that recent presidential election where China's pretty ticked off that they... That, that Taiwan didn't pick their guy. Uh, you know, maybe TMSC might come here, even TSMC may come here even faster. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm probably using a, a bad metaphor here, maybe a bad comparison, but remember how we were so worried about our energy consumption and being uh, dependent on, say, the, the Saudi kingdom and, and the Middle East for our oil. And in the years since... Um, you know, we've really become a big energy producer. And now it's said that America produces almost all of its energy. And therefore, we don't have to worry so much about Middle Eastern countries or Russia and, and its energy. I wonder if there is going to be a move in that vein for computer chips just because they've become so front and center to what we want to do as a country when it comes to powering all these industries. Well, we bring back manufacturing. We are the we are the world's chip designers, and we've always been that. So that combo would be a hell of a one-two punch. All right, switching gears. Uh, the Wall Street Journal just had a cover story on how apparently tech leaders are coming back to San Francisco, and the hook of this story was they all said, "Oh, San Francisco, you know, bad government, you know, bums on the street." You know, everybody's leaving, and they, a lot of people picked up, including some major VCs, moved to Miami, moved to Austin, moved to Boise, wherever they were going to go. And apparently those places are not as sympathetic to the high-tech lifestyle. I mean, we're marinated in it around here. We, we talk about it, you know, every third sentence. Those places were not that hospitable. They didn't have that cultural infrastructure of entrepreneurs and tech. Now they're starting to move back. And my question is, reading the article, I kept looking for San Francisco companies. And what I saw was a lot of peninsula companies, Menlo Park companies. I saw companies coming back to Silicon Valley in the Bay Area. But are they really coming back to San Francisco? I mean, San Francisco, some companies never left, but like, like GitLab's. But GitLab's, its headquarters is the founder's house. 
and they have 3,000 people scattered around the world. So yeah, it's a San Francisco company, but is what's really happening? I mean, San Francisco isn't any better. I mean, you watch those videos too, walking down Marcus Street, every business is closed. The hotels are up for sale. I haven't seen any improvement on that. I see some high-tech executives talking about running for office or you know, getting behind some propositions to turn the, the governance of the city around. But why now? Why, why are these companies coming back if they are coming back? I mean, I don't know so much about the companies. I mean, my takeaway from that was some of the people that moved are coming back um, because they want to be where the action is. And it's still largely the Bay Area. And I see that as a whole, not just San Francisco, but yes, the peninsula, South Bay, the Bay Area as a whole. I think part of the problem for San Francisco is what you just said about GitLabs. So many people can still work anywhere. And San Francisco is still a really expensive proposition, especially for a young person, um, you know, that, that hasn't built up some, some money or cashed in options or, or whatever it takes to afford to live in San Francisco. Um, but, uh, I think the idea that this is still where the action is. We haven't lost Sand Hill Road. We haven't lost biotech. We haven't lost, in fact, We've gained a ton of AI companies, startups and large companies, mostly in San Francisco. And so you see where the VC dollars remain and you see where that startup culture remains. And it's not like Stanford went anywhere or Berkeley. And so I think a lot of people are like, hey, you know, UT Austin is great and Austin is a great place to be or Miami for all of its crypto. But there's still a whole lot going on in Silicon Valley that no one can touch yet. And so much like I think the exodus was somewhat anecdotal. I think we're starting to see maybe a few people come back and people are saying, oh, wow, now it's a big comeback. I think that's a bit anecdotal too. I don't think we lost a whole lot. I don't think we're getting a whole lot coming back, but this is still where the action is. And if you really want to be involved in a lot of things at once, maybe not just crypto, um, you know, you got to be here. Uh, and I think a lot of people are realizing that. Hey, speaking of crypto, did you see the photograph, the uh, the prison shot of Sam Altman Freed? Sam Bankman Freed. Um, I got yeah, Sam I, Altman and Sam Bankman Freed. Yes, yeah, you see the photograph of him. I did, like, I did, I did. I I um, you know, my first thought is, is this some sort of a deep fake? But maybe that is indeed him in 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 prison. Yeah, same clothes. I was expecting like an orange jumpsuit or an old fashioned striped. You know, prison outfit. He's got got the same shorts. He's still got the same dirty T-shirt, and he looks a little bit worse for wear. But not maybe what I in mean. yeah, maybe in rich person prison you don't have to wear the orange jumpsuit. I don't know. <laughs> okay, just uh, just happened to see that. Okay, uh, uh, Amazon it is going to replace Walgreens on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Now, I think most people's first reaction was, hasn't Amazon been on there for like years? I mean, it's like one of the biggest, because one of the, you know, Magnificent Seven. Why hasn't it been on the Dow Jones? Why Walgreens, of all things? That's interesting to me, because if I were to pick two things that should represent industry, right? You got to get tech. And what's, you know, there are a few bigger techs than Amazon. I mean, you know, we already have some tech on the on the Dow with like Apple and Microsoft. It makes sense that Amazon is there. Walgreens, I wonder if they didn't just sort of fumble the ball here, because healthcare is another sure bet for the future. Um, you know, we're all getting older and, and they keep saying the pharmaceutical uh, industry is just getting bigger and bigger and biotech. And, and you'd think that um, you'd think that a company like Walgreens would be front and center at that. But 
Maybe not. I mean, even where I live, uh, you know, in, in Silicon Valley, we've seen some Walgreens and CVSs shut down, um, yep. which means now when you go to pick up a prescription, there are more people but fewer workers, and it's just not a good experience. And not that that necessarily hits the stock price, but it just doesn't feel like a red hot industry. And and it really should because healthcare is a red hot industry. And so maybe when it comes to the consumer part of it, um, somebody is dropping the ball, but it's strange that Walgreens is going out, but it makes a lot of sense to me that Amazon is going in. There's a great argument for Amazon because it's not just a tech company. It's not just a giant company because it's involved intimately in all of our lives on an almost daily basis. I think it's the ultimate barometer of the health of the American economy. I can't think right. of anything else like it. I I agree. Um, I agree. That makes sense on a lot of levels because if Amazon is doing well, it means the consumer is doing pretty well. It means the shipping industry is doing well. You know, you look at FedEx and UPS as these barometers of are people shopping for Christmas presents, and you know, you sure as heck see a lot of those vans along with Amazon vans, by the way, driving around all the time. So the consumer is active, and where is the consumer more active these days, perhaps, than on Amazon? Absolutely. And finally, um, we have to talk about Elon Musk once. First of all, he announced that that brain and neural implant works. It's in somebody. I'll wait and see exactly what works means. You know, the guy, the guy just add French to his uh, vocabulary. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and finally, SpaceX is looking heading a different direction quietly. It's done a lot of work with the Defense Department, but now it seems to be uh, cozying up to the U.S. security agencies by putting these satellites up. And they just landed a $1. billion contract for something called StarShield. And that's going to be a network of satellites uh, circling the Earth. Good news, bad news. I mean, Elon's more stretched than ever but this seems like a way for between space shots to actually level out that revenue stream right and i think that's what spacex needs i mean it's valued gigantically and it deserves to be they're doing some remarkable things um but right any company that wants to keep doing remarkable things needs to make money and so it makes sense uh and satellites have been it seems like a big cash generator for spacex uh, which seems to be run really well. I would probably like to see more of Gwen Shotwell in the spotlight and on the news shows. Um, I don't know why Musk continues to get all the credit for SpaceX. Well, I think she's Shotwell running. Have something that I've never heard from Elon, where she said, "When things get in, news gets kind of important, I get quieter." <laughs> How did he ever find this woman that he should never let her go? Right. I'm sure SpaceX investors and employees are are grateful to have her around. As far as Neuralink, um, I, you know, that sounds interesting and, and helpful and potentially life-saving. It just right now it's got that must sort of sheen to it, if you will, which means if it came from the Mayo Clinic, you know, people would be like, wow, this is incredible. It comes from Elon Musk. And so people are skeptical. Look, he's done everything in his power to earn that skepticism. So, you know, I wish people... BS shows me somebody with advanced Parkinson's who's no longer shaking and, and has control of their nerves and muscles. God bless them. You know, that's a great gift to humanity. Exactly. And and I, I it just remains to be seen because we need to yeah. see more because it's Elon Musk. He, he's, he's, we have to be skeptical. Deeply. Right, exactly. 
Yeah. Okay, that's it for now, folks. You can find us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. You can see Scott on Facebook and X, and of course, almost every weeknight on NBC Bay Area. And me on the BBC World Radio Show, Business Matters. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.